0: Welcome to the fifth episode of the Food Can Fix It podcast. I'm your host, Marianne Sticksett. Today's guest is Ali Said Mandri, also known as Chef Ali L'Artiste, a Kenyan celebrity chef, TV radio personality, and culinary instructor. Ali's love of food came early. He began cooking at the age of seven, and by the time he turned 12, he had his own business selling cakes. Today, Ali works to champion Kenyan cuisine both nationally and internationally, and is part of IFAD's Recipes for Change campaign to raise awareness about the impacts of climate change on food crops and traditional recipes. He came to the Eat on Food Forum as a representative of the Chefs Network, a global network of chefs who are working to create a better food system for all. We talk to him about gender stereotypes in the culinary arts, breaking food barriers, and empowering small scale farmers. Ali, welcome to the Eat Podcast. We're absolutely delighted to have you on with us here today.
1: Thank you very much. It's a pleasure and it's been amazing.
0: You actually decided at a very young age that you wanted to be a chef. Can you tell us a little bit about that? How old were you?
1: Well, I was actually, by the age of nine, I knew I wanted to be a chef. But then my mom says when I was a little kid, like ever since I was like uh, probably two years old or one year old. My biggest playground would definitely be in the kitchen, where my brother, where basically is almost a year older than me, would definitely be outside playing with probably like you know toys and little cars and all and I will be in the kitchen very close okay. to her and uh that's what she says but then at the age of seven, I remember i could i could I could make a beautiful breakfast. Because my grandfather used to cook his own food. Your grandfather? Yes. And I loved basically to watch him cook. So by the age of seven, I would cook very good breakfast for my grandfather and my grandmother. And uh, by the age of nine, I knew I wanted to be a chef. I didn't know how or where am I going to learn to be a chef. Because basically, I come from a community, the Swahili and the Arab community back in Mombasa. A man in the kitchen is basically a no. Like... There's no way because it it, it is believed in our culture that women are supposed to be in the kitchen because we grow up seeing our mothers cook at Mm -hmm. home. So it is definitely a no, like how, how, how do you want to be a chef? How do you want to create a career basically, uh, from the kitchen where basically it's a woman's job. So I didn't know how I'll be able to tackle that by the age of nine, I knew I wanted to be a chef. And, uh, I didn't know if there's a word called chef, but I knew there was something called a cook. So I always used to say that I want to be a cook. And uh, I remember my my mom has been my biggest support. She was like, you love to cook. I'm going to take you to the best school in Kenya, which is Utali College. And I've been hearing this school, but I don't know how. But at the end of the day, you know, I just grew up. By the age of 12, I started baking. And I decided to make it into a business. So uh, rather than asking for money from my parents, I decided I'm going to bake. I'm going to make birthday cakes and I'm going to sell them. So I started my cake business when I was 12 years old. So uh, I literally don't remember asking for money from my parents at sixth grade. And then uh, you, I was... Were al-
0: you cooking in, in, in the family kitchen? You yeah, in my home. Yeah, my and mom's... And then selling them out.
1: And then selling them out. And in fact, my first cake that I baked, I used charcoal because we never had an oven. I come from a middle class family and uh, we never had an oven. My mom had an oven when she got married, but then it was all like, you know, worn out by the time I was uh, 12 years old. So I... St- started baking using chakro and uh, i would say Anything cooked with charcoal tastes amazing. So, my first cake was you baked with a charcoal. <laughs> I, had,
0: I had never would have thought that a cake baked with charcoal... It's has a very
1: matter. simple. All you need to do is basically get your big charcoal uh, stove with lots of charcoal and then you separate the two. You take the charcoal from underneath the stove, you put it on top of a lead, and then mm-hmm. you cover the pan or the pot or the baking tray and then it cooks. And it cooks literally within 25 to 30 minutes. So, that was my first cake and I did that business and uh, I made my my little money here and there got money to buy an oven and uh, it became a business as from grade 6 toward uh, from 4 once I'm done with high school and uh, it's been amazing so I knew this is what I want to do and I've been cooking all other dishes as well Thanks to my grandfather, who has been my biggest inspiration, and watching big chefs like Gordon Ramsay, like Chef Osama, you know, just got inspiration and felt like being a chef, being a man in the kitchen is mm. fine. Mm. I wouldn't really care what the culture says, but at the end of the day, I'm just gonna do it.
0: But that's interesting because there's a there's a dichotomy there. On one way, you're saying on one side, you're saying that it, there was much acceptance for uh, a man cooking, but at the same time. Um, your grandfather was a huge inspiration, yes. and a couple of the, the the chefs that you just mentioned are yes. also male figures yes. Yes. so once you get into the industry it is quite a male industry in terms it of is. the most well known uh, chefs out there definitely mm. now um, so you went on to become a chef um, but you don 't just spend all your time in the kitchen actually I, I i'm not quite sure when you get time to spend to be in the kitchen given that you're also on television you're also on radio you're a culinary yes. instructor yeah and you write articles yes there's only 24 hours in a day when do you get to cook Carly? well
1: the thing is like i i have to develop recipes every single day so even if i'm not basically in an industrial kitchen more of like a hotel kitchen or a restaurant i'm at basically at my studio kitchen developing recipes so for me developing recipes like i have to sit down write my recipe and then have to go source ingredients and i spend every single day in the kitchen it could be a couple of hours a day but then i have to at least cook for three hours a day at my studio kitchen and if it's not in my studio kitchen then i cook in the studio live on tv where i have to travel to nairobi every wednesday for my live show on thursday and uh whenever i do a recipe on radio i have to have tested that recipe so i have to cook i have to like you know have done the like you know the prep I know what I'm talking to the audience. I know what I'm telling them. I know it works, all the measurements. So I still spend a lot of time in the kitchen. Mm -hmm. But then I have to divide it into two. Like, you know, more of, I would say more of a publishing or a media chef. But then it still goes hand in hand with the kitchen. Because I still have to do all the tests. So I have a little test kitchen, which is more like my studio kitchen. Where I have to cook and then now come back. And basically develop the recipe, write down the recipe. And uh, so it's still I still spend some time in the kitchen.
0: Now, uh, what was it the that prompted you to uh, to go on and do this is it is it is it a, 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 a deep wish to, to share your knowledge with people and to teach them how to cook or is it a, what, what is it that drives you in the-
1: It's basically an opportunity that came towards me because when I graduated, um, I I went to culinary school when I was seventeen years old and I graduated by the age of twenty one and I was one of the top students in Otley College, which was really amazing for me and overwhelming in terms of basically the the the, the um, um, response from the people out there so at the age of 21 and a half immediately like you know just six months after graduation i was approached by my principal to go back and teach and i told him i'm very young i don't think i can be able to lecture and he says no you can do how it how old were you i was 21 You're 21 and a half. Yeah. yes and uh I went to class. Some of my students were older than me and uh, I just had to do it and be a tutor. And uh, I lectured for a couple of years. And I think that demand that came towards me being published as probably the youngest lecturer, uh, one of the chefs who basically broke some barriers in terms of like cooking and, you know, from coming from a culture where cooking is basically not for men. So this kind of uh, approach or what would I say, the kind of, feedback or the kind of publicity i got Mm -hmm. made me into just like you know turn from just the industry to media because i was being interviewed every other day and uh so uh, the media started to follow me up and say do you want a cook show and i say sure why not so that's when i started my cook show when i was like 23 and there was my first tv show and it was such a success that it never stopped so uh i did a couple of seasons and then other networks approached you to do other kind of shows, with the end of the day, it's still going to be TV. And the radios approached me to do radio shows. And it just developed to be like, you know, I need to share my recipes because the demand was there. And everyone was like, you know, how can we get a recipe? It's Ramadan, we need recipes. So I have to. So my job is basically to spread the word, spread knowledge. And since I started off immediately after graduating, like, you know, being back in the industry for six months and then started off teaching in class. So I thought, let me just take it to the next level and do the mass mass communication which is basically teaching mass like you know from radio from tv at the end of the day and still spreading knowledge so uh,
0: and what is the knowledge that you want to spread what is it that you want to teach people is it to, 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 to inspire them to cook at home is it to inspire them to use certain ingredients or to cook a certain type of food
1: yeah what i normally say is that i want to give people a professional touch but the professional child that can be able to use at home Mm. so not everyone can be basically an industry chef who probably wants to go to the hotel and work in hotel industry but people want to learn these little things that you eat from the restaurant or from like you know a five star restaurant from a hotel which is basically amazing food and you want to put it on practice at home so what I do I take that knowledge that I learned from the industry and simplify it and then make you cook it at home so I want to simplify the recipes like you've had you went to a restaurant and you had some pepper steak, and you wonder how am i gonna make this pepper steak that would taste as good as a restaurant at home so i simplify that recipe and i put it up like in a very simple words and i'll just give it out to you so you can be able to like you know cook it at home and get that little taste of uh, a restaurant at home so give it the fine dining at home that's basically what i do
0: and and uh, what is it what type of cuisine is it that you're teaching them what kind of food is it traditional well, kenyan cuisine
1: yeah it? my cuisine is basically a fusion i would say swahili cuisine but then with a touch of uh, you know um Uh, Middle Eastern touch, a bit of some Indian touch because Swahili, uh, how I would uh, describe Swahili is basically Swahili is more of a fusion Um, a little bit of Bantu which is the typical African, a little bit of Indian, a little bit of Middle Eastern, a little bit of uh, Chinese in there and of course some British in there as well Because we were colonized by the British back at the coast. At the end of the day, where I come from, where I'm born in Mombasa. Mm -hmm. And it's just a fusion. So that African Swahili cuisine is basically my signature. And it's just a beautiful uh, cuisine which involves a lot of coconut because we come from the coast. And it's just delicious.
0: Now, you've also been involved among all the other. In addition to all of this, you are actually also involved with Ifad. Yes, Now, tell me a little bit about what what, what you've been doing with them.
1: Well, IFAD, number one, IFAD is the reason I got into uh, this project of uh, empowering farmers, low-scale farmers. Like, I've always been like, you know, this guy who would empower the youth. Mm -hmm. But then now IFAD got me to go into low-scale farmers and... uh, tackle a couple of uh, climate uh, issues that they have food security like you know and uh, it's been quite an educational journey for me thanks to ifad and uh, i'd always appreciate what they've done for me and uh, i got to travel to some parts of east africa like uh, rwanda which is basically a part of kigali called kirahe and uh, i met this amazing lady called oliver that ifad had funded uh, her to basically build a um, (laughs) biogas Uh, the biogas thingy, I don't remember the the way it is, but I know she used to create fuel or make her own fuel using cow dung because she has cow, she has a farm mm-hmm. and then uh, like, you know, create her own fuel, which is amazing. And uh, I got to visit her thanks to Ifat and then we had to cook using that biogas, and then... Uh, just create an amazing recipe. So the thing with eFAT is that I visit low-scale farmers and then I see what they normally do in terms of uh, food security, what they have, what ingredients they have, and how they can be able to sharpen these ingredients and make them an amazing meal at home. So I normally sharpen the uh, recipe, just give it a bit of some more flavor, and then see how we can be able to make it fun so that they can be able to enjoy a meal at home with the family other than just using the normal ingredients and just cooking a simple meal. So my involvement is basically to learn how they um they grow their crops and now how they can be able to sharpen their skills and make them more delicious in terms of cuisine and presentation and putting it up to the family so they can all enjoy a beautiful meal which is going to have a chef's touch in there
0: <laughs> <laughs> what, what 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 an incredible way of of diversifying your knowledge as well and really, and really putting your 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 cooking skills, so the tests going to an area and, and basically just being able to use the local ingredients and yes. finding out how you can make mm-hmm. also a, 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 a climate resistant meal because it has to be crops that can mm-hmm. survive in the in the environment that they have has this work influenced how you cook in any way? Do you take these experiences and and can one taste it once you come back?
1: Yes, yes. Because the thing is like, I did another project with Ifad where I went to uh, um, Kitui. Kitui is part of Kenya and uh, they uh, normally eat a lot of ugali which is made out of corn or maize and then it reached a point that back where in the village like you know corn or maize was basically scarce and they couldn't get a lot of it and they were wondering what to eat and yet they have a lot of sorghum and uh, what happens is that they sell the sorghum to make money and uh, they never knew if they could cook the sorghum and enjoy a meal out of it so uh, when i went thanks to Ifed again i uh, i got to learn how they uh, basically what they're facing Uh, they don't have maize and they have a lot of uh, sorghum, and they do have a lot of green grums as well, and they didn't, never knew if they can be able to cook it and make an amazing meal. So what I told them is that, okay, we're gonna make a dish out of sorghum and green grums, and then it's going to taste as good or even better than the ugali that you normally make using your maize. So there's no point of basically thinking of what to eat because or probably uh, reducing the amount of food that you eat because you don't have maize. We can make a dish. So we made an amazing meal out of the sorghum and the green grams. We just added a bit of some chef starch in there, a bit of some garlic, ginger, I'm really a spicy one. And then we just made an amazing meal and the family enjoyed it. And they were like, wow, we never knew that we can cook sorghum with green grams and just create an amazing meal. So at least this is one thing I could do in terms of uh, supporting or helping the small scale farmers in terms of uh, producing a meal out of ingredients that they never thought they could eat because they only think that basically when they sell this they're going to make money at the end of the day which is okay but then now um what my my vision was basically cook what you have and what you get at the end of the day you can still sell it but then you can still use it basically to uh survive at the end of the day and uh enjoy an amazing meal
0: it's really interesting a lot of the questions that we get um at eat is is because we talk a lot about the SDGs and we talk a lot about how we're going to achieve the paris agreement and, and people listen to this and they understand it but a, a question we get frequently is yes but what can I do as a consumer what kind of a difference can I make and what you choose to do in the kitchen and the kind of food that you use uh, the kind of food that you buy and and, and how you use it uh, can have a huge impact and, and, and it's it's very empowering for people to, to know that how do you what do you tell people when they ask what can I do what can I do to contribute through the food that I make in terms of making a difference notably to to to, to uh, make a contribution towards the sustainable development goals
1: yeah what i would say um, more of wholesome ingredients that's basically what what basically i'm i'm trying to push again mm-hmm. i did something with uh Jimmy oliver and uh that was basically under his uh a food revolution and i think this will be the angle that i may be able to explain this um uh, and we were basically talking about wholesome ingredients like we're blessed back home to have organic ingredients almost all our tomatoes are organic so i would say wholesome ingredients like you know you use what you get at the end of the day in terms of uh wholesome unprocessed foods so um and you know make a meal out of the organic uh ingredients that you have so that could be my take in terms of uh sustaining a healthy diet and uh yeah
0: Final question for you. And this is going to be an easy one. Well, maybe not an easy one. You've got a lot to choose from. But when (laughs) you invite your family and friends at home over for a dinner, what meal, what is your favorite dish to cook and serve to them?
1: Well, um, number one, I'm this kind of chef that I don't have a favorite meal because I appreciate food for earning someone a living. And that has been one question that's really difficult for me to say a favorite because I love food. I appreciate food. As long as it's halal, I would eat anything. And I would say back home, people love biryani. Mm. Yeah, so biryani is basically the rice where it's a staple. Rice is a staple back at the coast. And uh, it could be chicken biryani. It could be beef biryani. You know, it just depends how you cook it. And it could be a vegetarian biryani. So this is a staple that everyone loves. So on all our big occasions like during Eid or on a wedding, you will never miss biryani there. So that will probably be a meal that I would serve. Not my favorite because I don't have a favorite. And... Uh, uh, I would say some normal Sohili stepples, which is basically fish in coconut sauce that's never amazing in my house. And uh, of course, some beautiful fresh uh, lassi or fresh mango with a bit of some yogurt. We call that lassi. It's more of like an Indian touch. I'm not Indian, but at the end of the day, we love that. It cools down because it's really, really uh, hot in Mombasa. So that would definitely be a typical meal that I'd make at home when I invite people.
0: Ali, I would love to get an invitation to that dinner. So let me welcome. know when you're going to host it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> welcome whenever in Mombasa. Welcome. <laughs>
0: thank you very much. And thank you for taking the time to talk to us. It's been an absolute pleasure.
1: Thank you very much. It's been amazing.
0: That's all from us today. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Next week's topic is snacking in the cities. We'll be talking to Tom Arnold, member of the Global Panel on Agriculture and Food Systems for Nutrition, and EAT's policy officer, Emily Norford, about rising urbanization trends in low- and middle-income countries and the impact they have on our health and the food choices we make. In the studio with me was producer Gustav Glomset. I'm Marianne Stickset, and you've been listening to the Food Can Fix It podcast, produced by EAT.